Welcome to How Publishing Works from Caxton to Kindle. I'm Kate MacDonald. I'm a publisher and a literary historian. And today I'm in conversation with a printer, Mark Couch from the Devon printer Short Run Press. Welcome. Good morning, Kate. Good, good to have you here. So let's start with the basics. So Short Run is a book printer. Your boxes say proper books, real printers, expert care, which always makes me smile when I see it. Why is Short Run a book printer rather than a printer of leaflets or food packaging or wallpaper? Okay, that's quite an easy one to answer really, because we, like all printers, we can put a ink on paper or toner on paper, depending what print method you're using. We then need to look at what equipment you've got and what staff you've got, what expertise you've got. Uh, further on down the line is to, to keep them busy um, and what specialism, specialism have you got for instance we've been doing books forever so we know books inside out um, and ultimately it will come down to how do we add value to that sheet of paper and what can we do with that paper to make it worthwhile if we just did leaflets and booklets um, that sort of thing we wouldn't be utilizing our um, technology so the binding lines the hardback lines the uh, wire binding lines and the expertise of our staff um, so we wouldn't be able to like I say maximize the return on our investment further on we'd have a lot of people sitting in the bindery with nothing to do if we just did leaflets and business cards so I guess it comes down to adding value to what the, the piece of paper we buy and what we can sell it for at the end and all the investment you've done you say that um, short run's been around forever when did it begin so uh, we started in 1981 uh, and I say what we in the royal way, uh, basically my father and three other people, they had the concept of uh, where they were working. It was every job that was going on press was thousands of copies. They're doing lots of specialist journals and they were looking at it saying, it's only maybe 50 or 200 people in the whole world that might read this journal. We don't need to be printing a thousand, but because it was a, a thousand or 2000 was the shortest run they would do. They were looking at saying, okay, well, let's look at this. What can we do as a as individuals and we want to start our own company where do we go and they came up with the concept of short run long before print on demand and single copy production but actually it's how short a run could we do using life oppressive uh, life methods and that sort of thing so what makes a difference i mean you say that the minimum was one to two thousand in the old way is it the machinery that makes a difference it was the cost that simply the cost of actually getting a sheet out it was never viable for anybody to to do 50 copies or 100 copies on the life of presses it was time consuming getting film made um the film then laid down and the shot to camera to shot to plate um whereas now you can actually do it as ctp computer to plate pdfs in within 10 minutes we could be printing a 600 page pdf book um, in the past, you'd be looking at days, weeks, probably months to get film made and then it laid down and, and into production. So right. I think we're going to have to stop there and not stop, stop. We're going to have to stop there and explain because I, when I began working as an editor in the late, very late 1980s, I do remember film and I remember plates, but already digital technology was coming in and it was becoming, I don't think PDFs have been invented, but I was, because I, I sort of straddled the two worlds. So I know what you mean. So can we start from the beginning? When in the old days, when printing happened, the words were accepted in their final form and then what? So they'd be accepted in their final form and we then have to somehow get those words 
available to print onto a plate. So we need a metal plate to create the template to print from. That was easier said than done. Um, one option was to shoot it from film, so a negative film or a positive film. Um, other people would do a, a printout of a, an A4 piece of paper and that would be laid down. That would be called camera ready copy. So you basically need to get something printed out in a form that would then be shot to um, plates. And, and like historically, it was a negative plate or a positive plate. Most people would remember that from the old cameras. Um, you'd put a piece of film in, you'd have a negative film or a positive film, um, and you'd take it from there. As soon as computers came around and started being used, we were then called computer to plate. So we're looking at, okay, how do we take a PDF off of someone's computer? Um, and we turn that in, so it then became computer plate CTP, and that was around 2000. So ever since 2000, we've been dealing with digital files into a system, still making a plate, but it's they're created via lasers, and they've cut out the process of having to have film and or camera ready copy. So we're straight to plate, um, and then the plates go straight to press, or in the world of digital print, they're going straight to the digital photocopier type technology and that's been printed out, so no need for plates. So what happened to typesetting? Because that too was something I, I did I did originally work with typesetters, and they still exist. And some, you know, a printer, we, a publisher we have interviewed works with a typesetter. So I'm curious, how did, I mean, typesetting was the physical metal letters that were placed in wooden forms. That's what Caxton invented back in the 15th century. How has that changed? I'm not asking for a complete history of typesetting, but as far as you're concerned, how has that changed? Yeah, so for me, being in the trade now for 20-odd years, typesetting to me would be, okay, how do we take a Word document that a client or customer or publisher has created and how do we turn that into a print-ready format? So the typesetters, instead of making the old blocks in the old days, they'll actually now convert it to the size that people want. A uh, format that they want, um, integrate the pictures into the text where they want it. It's almost like your designer. I would say a designer is more of a, they're going to make the page look nice and flowery and um, spread the text around and be much more creative. Whereas a typesetter will take maybe a 100,000 word novel and literally flow that through into a basic PDF of the size that they want to produce. Okay, so you've got design and typesetting overlapping, which is something I've seen as well. This is something also that Short Run do, because you do a pre-press service, don't you? That's it, yeah. So we would generally call it typesetting. So we would generally say, okay, um, give us your manuscript in a in a typed format. So that's all, it's already in existence. Somebody will spend the time to do it onto their, their Word files. Um, or into uh, Apple or something, a, a, a basically a format that we can extract the text as a file. And we will then put it into a design package where we do the page layout. Um, yeah, the terminology sort of, like you said, crisscrosses and, uh, and covers both aspects. But a designer, I would say a designer would be more doing like a Jamie Oliver cookbook where they're integrating pictures and everything behind. They're taking each page, they're probably looking at Fifty hundred pounds per page to design, whereas actually for us typesetting, if it's a, a novel, say a one nine eight one two nine standard paperback size book, we'll probably do that page layout for one pound fifty, two pound a page. It's quick, it's easy. We can flow it through. We get the headers, the footers, the page numbers, everything right. 
We know what to do with the prelim pages and it's quite a cost-effective way of getting a PDF ready to print. Mm, and wonderful for an author who doesn't have access to a designer and doesn't actually know anything, you know, the first thing about how to get a book made. Absolutely. Even at £1.52 a page, it does add up. If you've got a 300-page book, that's 600 quid. So it does add to the cost. However, um, it depends on the, the um, technical know-how of the, the, our customer, the, the author at the end. If most these days can actually do it through Word, if it's text only, they might struggle with putting the page numbers on and those sort of things, but we can help with that part. Um, and we can help them all the way through the process. But at some point you're gonna say, well, actually you might as well give it to us to do and pay us to do it rather than sort of uh, fretting away in a, in, a, in a dark room for weeks on end, trying to put page numbers on and get it all to flow in the right way. It's, it's whether people want to start and stop with the cost of actually producing their book. Yeah, and also with the, qu the quality of the result as well. That's it. But actually, Word these days, and you can now say save to PDF, in the last sort of 10, 15 years that become possible, it does make it viable. And if someone's got a set budget and I can say, okay, well, but if you do the page layout, then it might be, actually, that means that project can be done rather than not done at all. Mm -hmm. So it, do, it, it, it is a means to an end. Yes, it won't be as good as somebody professionally doing it. But actually, if it is for friends and family and limited sort of surplus, or it's literally they want to get that content out in the public domain, well, it doesn't necessarily need to be professionally typeset. It, it just needs to be created into a format that can be printed and then bound into a book. Yeah, and look nice. Okay, let's consider what a publisher does. So when a publisher presents you with a text that they need printing, an estimate is the next stage and you do a lot of the estimating. How does estimating work and how do you manage to calculate? Yeah, estimating is a, a very complex um, process. It's a very clever process with the management system we use. I would say the very first process of all of it, and I, I often have conversations with people that phone up and they don't really know where to start, is I say, okay, get your concept clear in your mind as to what you want. They've probably come to me because they might have seen a novel of a friend that they quite like doing, or they might have seen a cookbook that they want to do for a the local church is a charity book or they might want to see a history book of the village that they want to do a, a similar history book so i say right go and get a, a, a book that you like the look of and try and work out in your mind is that what you want for your book or get a hybrid version maybe you like a size of a certain book and it's a type of paper but i try and get them to be as clear as they can as to what they actually want and they might not know the technical term but if they've got something physical in front of them i can speak through them over the phone and we can sort of piece together a spec. So once we sort of piece together a spec, then yes, the estimating is fairly straightforward. So a spec is a specification. That's your fixed parameters of what the job is. Yes, yes. So we, we I'll be saying, well, okay, let's have a look, paperback, hardback. What size book do you want? Is it going to contain colour? Um, if there's lots of colour pictures, we'll discuss the types of paper. Um, we've got a really good... Uh, really good um, that we've put together that has sample papers in it so it shows the same sections printed on different papers and the impact that um, the, the print method has on the outcome on the paper so if it's a litho printed um, section it will look very different whether it's non-coated paper or gloss paper or silk paper so we've got a sample book where people can actually see the same pages printed in the, uh, on different papers We've also given them the, the sample book and say, look, read the first 15, 20 pages because that will tell you about 
things that we might need to do in terms of page layout, page design, things to think of in the, the binding techniques. So really, I'm all, all the way through, I'm trying to devise a, a, a process and a, a concept in their mind that they'll then be happy with in six months, three years' time mm. of actually delivering that finished book to them. Um, but it's really trying to build that picture of, of what works um, and what they actually want. Yeah. So what are the critical elements that influence the print price? So is it number of copies? Is it delivery date? What what information really is a deal breaker or makes a big difference? Yeah. So so the spec is specification is one massive part of it. And the, the bit we will always pick up on and I'll try and advise is, okay, if they say a certain size, I might say, well, actually, 246189 is not a great size for printing. Um, but it's quite an old fashioned size so people might, when I've followed my instructions and gone and found a book, they might come back and say, oh, I like this book, it's 246189. I might say, well, actually, if you reduce to 240 by 170 millimeters, then there's going to be much more economic for you to print. We also need to consider which print method they're going to use. So we could use digital print, which is almost your single copy production method through to your litho print, where we're going to put it onto press and decide. Paper didn't used to be a deciding factor because it was whether you had an 80 gram or 150 gram on 500 copies, 50 copies, it was a, it was a part of the cost, but it wasn't significant with, um, the war in Ukraine and paper becoming a problem, papers become more and more expensive. So it is now something we need to consider. So rather than necessarily saying, okay, we want a nice coated paper because we want to print the color images nicely. We actually need to go, okay where are we going with this book is it a coffee top table type book and therefore actually spending more on the paper is is viable or are we looking at how cheap can we get a book out and um into circulation so so paper is important um color printing used to be very very expensive so in 1981 when we started we might be looking at four or five hours for a color side of print we're now down to seven minutes so it's it's a very big change in the industry that's a technology we we're investing in. So we've gone from, like I say, a three, four, five hour make ready to a seven minute make ready. We're also going from hundreds of sheets for a make ready to about 30. So what's make ready? So that's a make ready is when we actually take on litho printing a, a set of plates. So a cyan, yellow, magenta, and black, um, that make up the color print. We take those four plates, we place them onto the presses and we have to get those four plates to come into registration and up to the correct strength for the colors so we're actually every section we print we have to make ready on one side and then we turn the sheet over and we print on the other side so it's two make readies per sheet of paper right and that sounds to me a little bit like when you do with the the printer we have on our desk at home you when you put a new print cartridge in you the printer will generate a, a sample page with all the colors in rows is that what? that's it absolutely that's a very good way way of doing it um we'll have color bars so along the bottom of the sheet we'll have a long line and it'll show the strength of the red yellow blue and black throughout that sheet and it'll be spread across the bottom of the page so it's very clear as to what we um when we're up to strength and then we'll see from the images themselves okay we're up to strength now that looks right and we've also got um readings on the presses that will actually we'll put sheets under and it's fully scanned and checked and we are there then up to strength and ready. So mm-hmm. yeah, that used to be hundreds of sheets and four or five hours work. We're now, like I say, seven minutes um, and 20 or 30 sheets. So when paper's costing a lot of money, actually reducing the amount of sheets we need to make ready uh, has quite a big impact on our, our costings overall. Yeah. 
So why has the war made paper expensive? What's made the difference? I think it's the perfect storm. So it's you, we've had the Ukraine, we've had Brexit, so getting the stuff in and out of the country. Um, I often say it's a bit like petrol prices. If you give them half a reason to put the prices up, they, they skyrocket. Um, once they start to soften, they come down like a deflating balloon. They, they don't come down as quick as they went up. Um, there was the, the war, people were short of paper or thinking we were going to be short of paper. So we did the same. We bought as much paper as we could. We stockpiled and took what we could um, to make sure that us and our customers were going to be okay. We weren't going to be short. Um, that made all the paper suppliers run out of paper in their mill. So they were then panicking. They were going, okay, well, if I've got this paper and we've only got this left and we'll charge more for it against supply and demand. Um, realistically, I think what happened was all that the UK did was we moved where the paper was being stored. So instead of it being stored in the paper suppliers, the paper merchants warehouses, the printers bought the paper that they could. So we then stored it in our warehouses um, and that's created a bit of a shortfall or a perceived shortfall. And where are the paper suppliers? Presumably they're all abroad or do we produce paper in this country? Yeah, we, we don't produce much paper in this country anymore. There's still a, a two or three or a handful of, of specialist paper mills, um, mainly up in Scotland. Um, actually, one of the books we did in the last couple of years was the last paper made from the paper mill in Ivy Bridge. And um, the, they wanted to do the history of the mill before it shut down. So they said, okay, the last paper we uh, make will be the paper for our history of the mill. So that was sort of quite sad in a way. Oh, it's sad, but gosh, what a way to yeah, what a way to end it. And it was, and it was an amazing, amazing book, and it was, uh, and then being honest, when you go there and you see how they were trying to make paper with, in an old-fashioned paper mill, you can see why they had to close because it wasn't efficient. Um, you think you get it's like everything you get these big super mills and plants specifically made in the twentieth century or twenty-first century now. Um, to make paper, they're going to be more efficient. They're going to be better. Um, so they they sort of just yeah they they did well to survive as long as they did. But the time told, and it was mm. time to shut up. Uh, and we did it. So yeah, so that was nice. Um, it was certainly a nice project to finish on. A sort of bit of a sad story, but it was a it was a nice mm -hmm. nice way to go. Um, but yeah, so the paper, we never ran out of paper, but it was that supply and demand situation where people were thinking, oh, hang on. If we've got no paper, blimey, we can't print. And if we're not printing, then we're we're in trouble as a as a business. So, and there was a moment, one of our books that you printed for us, we had to buy the paper first because we needed to split the cost. We couldn't afford to pay for the paper and the printing at the same time. So we secured the paper through you. That, that's it. And the way the market was going, if you could afford to buy it, you would buy it and and get it at today's price rather than idea what's going to happen in. We were talking days. The prices were going up astronomically in days. Not it was very worrying. Months. Yeah, it was quite scary times. Mm. Um, but again, we're through that now. And one of the paper suppliers last week said the prices are reducing. So that's a positive. Well, that's good because yeah. our print our print costs the paper increase is really. I think it's almost doubled. No, certainly added a good third to our print print production cost. It, it will have done because paper prices are over 50% um, probably where they were 18 months ago uh, it's quite scary because the base the way I going back to the estimating question the way we estimate generally is we use a, a quote that we've used previously so like with your titles I call up an old quote and I'd use that and that would be my template 
and we just have to update what we do for years we didn't have to update um plate prices ink prices glue prices um carriage prices they were just there we just alter the number of pages for that publication and that was it now we've literally if i pulled up a quote from a couple of years ago i've got to go through and update absolutely everything um in terms of cost saying that you do get the odd surprise and like yesterday i did one for somerset birds and it was a quote from six years ago and because of the investment in technology the price we've actually quoted yesterday was cheaper than six years ago because it was still at the old make ready times for being slow on the color presses and everything else <laughs> So <laughs> like seven minute mate readies rather than then it might have been two or three hours. I hope they were pleased. <laughs> they haven't gone back to me yet. So but that, that would be a bit of a shock to them. So I'm sure they'll be expecting it to be more expensive. But um, I know that the number of pages in a book is crucial because you get combinations and you come to the magic 32 page multiple. So the ideal is you try and have the number of pages in your finished book as a multiple of 32 or maybe 16 or at worst eight, or if you have to, it has to be four. Why is that? Why is this the magic formula? Yeah. So touched on printing in sections. Um, most books will either be a 16 or a 32 page section. So an A4 book will be a 16 page section and a five book, um, will be a 32 page section. So we're printing on an SRA one sheet of paper. So what we, the most efficient way is to print in complete sections um and lots of people will will spend hours and hours and hours trying to get to say two five six pages so eight thirty twos they'll go that's slightly cheaper and i go yes but if you spent 20 30 hours trying to make your book fit to that page extent when actually well you might have been better off going for an extra eight page section or an extra 16 page section uh, it would have been quicker and more efficient of your time to do that so yes when dealing with sections it's best it's most economic to work at that but again historically make credits on the folder so setting the folder to print a 16 or an 8 would have taken longer setting the press to set for an 8 or a 16 would have taken longer but now actually our make credit times are quite quick across all of the machines and the cost of paper is more expensive actually if you were 16 pages less you might say okay it's actually cheaper now to print 16 pages less and take the extra cost of the make ready because the cost of paper is so expensive. Again, help change over time. Paper's gone through the roof. So you actually penny, you try and penny pinch on the paper and accept doing a bit more make ready time is it will make your job better. Obviously that's with litho print. We also do digital print, which is your print on demand um, sort of offering. And that's as long as that's a multiple or two, because we're printing loose leaves um then you, you don't even have to worry about a multiple of 16 or 32. the caveat i would say to that is it is if we generally say to people look, we can do single book production or we can do um litho production where we're talking hundreds of copies let's try and do both methods using the same papers and so that if the single book production became popular and they were selling really well we could instantly migrate over to the litho side so still on the single side, yes, we could do a book of 252 pages compared to a 256 page, but actually it would be better to make that book in the first place 256, because if you did want 500 copies lighter printed later, you've already got it set, you've already got the right page count, you've already got the covers the right size, and you're good to go. Um, and so it makes sense to sort of try and do it so it can, can go either way if you want to. It's a bewildering business, juggling the numbers. I'm not particularly good at numbers. My thing is words, so my, my head is beginning to spin. Let's move on to words. Um, 
So when you've got the final text in layout, you send an electronic proof to your client. This is when we often find, oh my goodness, look at that terrible proofreading error. Is this normal? Are we not the only ones? Absolutely. I, I, I worry more when somebody says to me, Mark, I've checked it a thousand times that there, there are no errors in that book. I said, I'm sorry, but there will be. And they look at me and it's like I'm insulting them. It's like, no, there will be errors in that book. There always are. Um, it would be, we have various titles that we send out. They might be five, 600 pages long and we'll get approval in 10 minutes. I think, mm, I'm not sure that was worth them doing that proof. Um, and I always say to people, there are errors in there. It's just, how do we deal with it? At some point you've got to hand it over and say, yeah, warts and all that's ready to print. Um, mm. I accept the fact there might be some errors in there. Um, and, and that's what we do. Nobody wants an error. And I guarantee you the first time they open that book and open it to whatever page they open it, they'll spot something they're not happy with. And it's awful. It's just the most stomach sinking feeling going, oh, it's printed and it's got this hideous. But, um, but yes, no, pretty much every job um, will get resupplied files, hopefully only a couple. So we just drop a couple in um, yeah. and that means we can just get going. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the more the more work we're doing in pre-press, the more times it goes back and forth. So if we are doing the design and the page layout, then we are expecting that to go two and throw two or three times. Uh, I do find that the gap of time makes such a difference. If I've sent you a, a final, a print, a print file, and then a week later you sent me the electronic proof, because I haven't seen it for a week, then I can spot things faster. And it, whereas if I get the proof on the same afternoon, that's hopeless. Yes. It's, I do often say one just a little bit of advice to the, the people, particularly when they're so involved and they've written it themselves and they're doing it on Word themselves and trying to create a PDF, just give it to somebody who hasn't looked at that book um, and just say, look, please read through it. I won't be offended, but tell me if you see something glaringly wrong. Mm. I said, also, ask them to look at it but and then tell them, please don't be offended if I don't change and do any suggestions you say because people will, as soon as people say it, they think they've, they've got to have that value of, right, he's asked me to check it and look at it. I've got to find something wrong. I've got to suggest something. You don't have to follow their suggestions, but actually a bit of a sanity check from someone will, will give your mind a bit of a bit more peace and of, um, that I'm, I'm happy that this can now go to print and, and accept the cost of whatever the printing is going to be because once we start printing, then there's no turning back. Oh, no, no. I think oh, the money is just oh, too hideous. One of the things I've learned, um, in fact, my top tip for all proofreaders is read it backwards. Go to the very last paragraph and read it paragraph by paragraph from the end, because then you don't get caught up in the story or the narrative or whatever the book is about. And you spot things. It, it works like a dream. It's such a useful thing to do. So you start to print. How? What does the printing team do with the machinery and the paper? How do they dance around in this complicated arrangement? Well, obviously the most important thing, and we touched on it, is having the right paper to print on. So we, we go right back to, to square one and it's, okay, we've, we've done our estimate. What, what are we actually going to produce? What are we going to use? Um, making sure that the paper's the right paper, particularly if it's an FSC product. So we're going to print- What's FSC? Forestry Stridge Council. So it's the FSC logo that um, shows that the paper's being bought from sustainable sources. And technically we can trace that paper all the way back to whichever forest it was uh, grown in and then uh, where the paper was made. So it's totally traceable. Um, basically it's showing that um, it's been ethically sourced and um, 
nobody could ever come back to you and say you've used legally logged wood from the Amazon and um, shouldn't be using that paper. It's pretty much impossible in the UK to buy paper that's not FSC. Um, there's a PEEFC, which is Pan-European Forestry Commission paper, um, but pretty much every paper for um, that's available in the UK is an FSC accredited sheet. So we make sure that we've, we're using the paper that we say we're going to use, and then the guys have to set the presses and make sure it's it's running to the right strength. That sounds quite straightforward, but black, how black is black? That can be an interesting thing. Um, we could print a lot of black ink on a black text, but it's got to be able to dry. So some people say, I'd like it blacker. And it's like, well, black is black, but it's, well, there's various shades of gray in there as well. So we have to make sure we're running it to the right strengths. On the digital presses, we need to make sure that it's, it's backing up. So we need to make sure that one side of the sheet is backing up to the other side so that the, the text overlaps. Um, so we've got our, our marks on the sheet to show that it's in the right place. No dirty marks and all those things on the plates, make sure there's no scratches. There's lots and lots of checks in place to make sure that that sheet's gonna go through. When we're looking at color, there's a lot more checks again on top of that, making sure that all four colors are correct. All four colors are sitting on top, otherwise the image will look 3D and and look like it's not printed properly. Um, you've only got to have, okay, you, you could say you've got the plates in the wrong order, so you could put the four plates on, but if the yellow plate's printing red and the red's printing yellow, then the image is going to look fairly awful. Um, but yes, there's just lots and lots of checks. It's, it's quite a complex process. Probably of all of it, if you said to me, how do, does the lifo presses work? Where you pour ink at the top and, the, and at the bottom out comes the printed image. That's, that's about technical as I get with it. But there's about 16 rollers in each unit that mean that actually out the bottom comes the printed sheet looking perfect. Um, and di digital, whether it's a, an, an inkjet digital or a toner-based digital, um, it's very similar really you've got to make sure it's calibrated running in the right order and not marking the sheet not creasing the sheets um, all those sort of things so yeah lots and lots of checks so how long would the process take to print a section or does it depend on how many copies of that section you need yeah so it's obviously the determining factor is the number of um, sheets that we need to produce because obviously if we're printing a thousand copies we probably need to produce 1100 1200 so that we got make readies then for the folder and the binding lines but if we said okay a, a 10 minute make ready to print um so it takes 10 minutes and then the presses will run at 12,000 14,000 sheets per hour so it's very little time to actually print um it's more than make ready time um obviously if we did a 10,000 run 20,000 run it will take an hour or so for each side of each section digitally printing so if we're printing 10 copies of something we print books at a time so we didn't print we don't print in sections we print book blocks at a time and again that determining factor is how many pages are in a book mm -hmm. um and that sort of thing so everything's different and then again if you saw our um our boardroom or all the books we do every book is different in shape and size number of pages and everything else it's it's fairly unique yeah. that's probably our usp really is we will do the size and the extent and everything binding style paper style that people want mm -hmm. and that's that's yeah, it all alters the time. Yeah, and I've so, seen when I when we did a factory tour, I've seen these enormous stacks of printed paper sitting on the floor, waiting to be taken to the bindery, to be put in the right order. And this takes me back from when I was a child. I was given a, a child's novel for a present, and it was the first time I realised how printing worked because the book had been the sections had been bound in the wrong order. 
and it had a lovely detective time working out why this bit didn't work with that and and ran to my mum saying mum mum look the sections are wrong only I didn't know the word section I must have been about eight so that was my my um epiphany of this is printing as a thing so how do you make sure that sections are placed in the right order in the binding machines Yes, so on when we print the actual section, there's a what's called a signature mark. So they're called sections, and then on each section there's a signature mark. So on the spine, there's a an indicator that shows what section that is. So when they're all folded and and in a stack, we can look at it and go, okay, there's all the section ones, there's all the section twos, because the signature mark will be in a slightly different place on each one. So you can then get a stagger, and you'll be able to see that. With modern technology, um, like our new binding line on each of the hoppers that collate the book into the right order there's cameras so we set it we we set the first one through we then say that book is correct and the cameras have analyzed the section as it goes through so it's looking at that section and it's going right that's what that section should look like so if a blank sheet went through or the uh, different section so the text is slightly different it would sense that and go hang on we've got a problem here and it would stop so we moved away from individuals looking at it and making sure there's obviously the individuals who are loading the machines and making sure they're putting the right sections in, but the machine has then got technology to assess it as well. Obviously we're doing spot checks as individuals to make sure the technology is working. So there's, you wouldn't believe how many checks are actually in place throughout the whole of production. That doesn't mean stuff doesn't go wrong, but it, 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 there's a lot of checks in place. But at the end of the day, we've got a, a human workforce and we're dealing with technology, so things things do go wrong. Mm-hmm. All we can do is at every phase check um, where we can. Um, it's not physically possible to check. I don't know how many books we do a day, say, I don't know, 20,000 books a day. We can't check every single book, but we can check every process that we're doing and check a selection of books that we, we do along that path. Um, and then obviously, ultimately, if something's wrong, then we, we put it right. So hopefully at some point, those those checks will will, will show you yeah, the book's perfect. Uh, or if it picks up that we've done something wrong, then we correct it. So so does once the book, the sections have been put in the right order, um, they get, is that, that when they get stuck to the spine or does trimming happen first? No. So again, if we're doing thread sewing, so we do thread sewing, ultimately, a book, whether it's a hardback or paperback, the best form of binding is to put thread in it. So you've got thread and then glue, and the glue will go onto the spine. So it's a hot melt glue that goes to the spine, and there's a more flexible glue that will go onto the hinge, so just around onto the front of the book. And then the cover is placed on top of that almost instantaneously. So it'll go through the gluing tanks, and it'll go straight to where the cover is. It's then We've then got a set period of time, I think it's about two and a half minutes, where that glue will then cure so we then have conveyor belts that will carry that book for the, um, the correct amount of time so that we then know that that glue is cured and it's then trimmed um, all in one process. So the conveyor belts, whilst you look at the conveyor belts, you go, well, that's a bit daft because we're going all the way around in the loop. Why does it just go from there to there? Well, actually, it's the right amount of time for that book, for the glue to dry and be cured and be ready for trimming. And then the, the, obviously the trimming happens and then they're packed into boxes and away they go. And I've seen the trimming machines, and they are absolutely terrifying. They're basically guillotines. How how much thickness of paper can the blade slice through? Oh, I'd say probably about 150 mil. It's a solid. It, it, it's not just paper. It could cut. It could cut wood. Um, it's it's solid. Um, they look intimidating. Like you say, you've you look you've seen it. Um, they could do a lot of damage. 
but trust me, they're the safest machines in the building because they've got so many sensors on them, movement sensors, foot sensors, hand sensors. Um, in my case, big belly sensors, so that if your belly gets in the way of the sensors that are too near the blades, you really can't do any damage on those. That is that is reassuring because they're they're scary, scary things. The, the three knife trimmer, there's an interesting story mm -hmm. on the, the three knife trimmer. So the book's got the cover on, it then um, gets trimmed, so the top tail and the fore edge is trimmed. Um, in the old days, before a lot more of these, these sensors and everything else, um, both my dad and my brother, who spent years running those machines, they got identical scars on the back of their hand from where they've made the same mistake. They both did the same mistake. They've both got the same scar. So Wow. And you haven't? I haven't. Cause I'm a, I I'm will an office, not. I'm an office boy. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to the cover, because I know that's printed separately. And one of our other printers, they occasionally have outsourced the cover to a different company because for whatever reason, time, machinery, who knows. What choices are there when you print a cover? I know you've got board thickness, but what other things can you do with a cover? So like everything with us, um, whatever the customer wants, we'll look at doing, um, whether it's a slightly thinner cover, a thicker cover, gatefold covers, um, we, we can do it. Everything's possible. It generally comes down to the cost because all these options will cost more and quite often they're significantly more, particularly if we're doing on a paperback. I would then say if you're going to start looking at the likes of gatefold cover, spot UV, fancy, soft touch lamination, foil blocking, debossing, all of those things, well, actually the cost of doing that, it might make it viable to do your book as a hardback book rather than a paperback book. Now, why is that? It's just the extra cost. Uh, gatefold, you've got extra covers, you've got extra processes on manufacturing. Um, spot UV, you've got to create the film to create the spot UV on the, the front. What is a spot UV? Spot UV is where we, we add a, a, a gloss varnish to the, a specific area of the cover. So it might have a matte laminated cover. We then put a spot ultraviolet um, covering, coating onto it, and that'll sit so it'll exaggerate certain parts of the cover. So it might be the title might have spot UV or it could have um, debossing or it could have foil blocking. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a certain area you're trying to make jump off the cover. Right. I would generally say with extras, always do thread saying if you can. And on the cover, I would do an extra if it's really in keeping with that cover. So if you had a, something really nice or a company emblem or something that you wanted to jump off the page, then maybe a foil block or a spot UV might be nice. Mm -hmm. But generally, I'd say don't go to the extra cost because it's just with most purchases being made online, people don't even see these nice finishes until they get the book. Um, and therefore, you, you haven't really helped your sales because you've sold the book already until the customer then gets it to read it. Mm -hmm. It's more about, okay, well, how do you get a nice product? Similarly, with the covers, some of the best covers I've ever seen have been a really plain and simple design. Lots of people get really carried away and put too much on their cover. They will also want to add lots of these finishes. But it's too much. It, it detracts from the, the actual book itself. Yeah, Not yeah. That it actually costs a lot of money. So, Thinking about topical issues, um, in the publishing trade, we hear a lot about new independent bookshops setting up and new independent publishers, but we never hear about new printers setting up. Is that because we're not looking in the right places? Or is there much churn in the trade? Um, I would say a lot of it is because you need the specialist workforce. Um, you can't just create that. You can't just decide I'm going to be a book printer and, and do it. So you need to have 
people who know about printing, you know about pre-press, you know about the finishing side of it, how to make cases. So you need the skilled workforce. Um, not to mention the cost. Uh, 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 our, our binding line is nearly a million pound. The casing in line could be a million pound. Each press is nearly a million pound. So you don't just go and start a new business with um, without it. Lots of people will um, maybe buy um, up other businesses and try and sort of get into the market in that way. Some people will will try and start just with digital print. So it's a lot lower cost to get into the uh, book production market. Um, they, they, they might go and just have some digital devices with a basic um, little binding line. You can still get a nice book out. You can still do a nice product. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually, yeah, to do it properly, there's probably only a handful of us in the UK that actually do a book from almost from concept through to distribute mm. uh, and the paperback and hardback. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I will. It's a pity. But, yeah, we're glad we've got them. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for being our guest on how publishing works. Um, I have learned a lot and I hope our listeners have too. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. And like we said, if um, anybody's interested, then they can find us online and we can send them our books and our DNA book and talk them through and help them through the process. Because like you said, it's very complex. And yeah, as soon as I start talking about estimating, it's so clear in my mind. But um, actually, for, <laughs> for, for Joe Blogs out there, it's, it's a bit of a minefield. Yeah. It certainly is. 